Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. In this week's headlines, anti-gay forces in Romania faced an epic fail in trying to outlaw marriage equality. Taylor Swift went political speaking out for LGBTQ rights and Democratic candidates. Facebook added coming out as a new life event option as the United States observed National Coming Out Day. Plus, my review of the gorgeous Broadway revival of Once on This Island. All that and more on this episode of The Randy Report. This week, the world observed the 20th anniversary of the death of Matthew Shepard, who became a symbol of anti-gay hate crimes when he was murdered at the age of 21 in 1998. Matthew was a student at the University of Wyoming in Laramie, where two men he had met in a bar kidnapped him, brutally beat him, tied him to a fence on a country road, and left him to die on the night of October 6th. He died in a hospital six days later. Matthew's ashes have not been interred, even though it's been 20 years since his death, as his parents feared any site would be desecrated. But his parents announced this week that his remains will be laid to rest at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. His family had considered scattering his ashes around Wyoming, but they wanted a place to visit. And they feared desecration, however, as they'd witnessed the presence of protesters from the hateful Westboro Baptist Church at Matthew's funeral. Dennis Shepard, Matthew's father, told the New York Times this week, I think it's the perfect, appropriate place, speaking of the National Cathedral. We are, as a family, happy and relieved that we now have a final home for Matthew, a place that he himself would love. The internment will take place on October 26th. The National Cathedral, which is affiliated with the Episcopal Church, draws visitors from around the world. The Episcopal Church is one of the most LGBTQ-supportive in the United States. The National Cathedral has been the site of many high-profile ceremonies, including most recently the funeral of U.S. Senator John McCain. Those interred in its crypt include prominent Americans like Helen Keller and her teacher Ann Sullivan, as well as President Woodrow Wilson. The public ceremony honoring Matthew on October 26th will be presided over by Bishop Budd, and the Reverend Gene Robinson, the first out gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. This week, we also observe National Coming Out Day, when LGBTQ people celebrate the day they embrace their true, authentic selves. In honor of National Coming Out Day, Facebook added Came Out as a new major life event feature. It will appear on profiles in the same way as birthdays and anniversaries. A spokesman for Facebook issued a statement saying, For the LGBTQ community, Facebook is a way for you to come out, celebrate your pride, and find support. Visibility is so important because it changes hearts and minds about being LGBTQ when friends and family see us living our true lives. You can add your coming out to your Facebook profile from the Life Events tab on your timeline. Anti-LGBTQ forces in Romania were looking 
to write a permanent same-sex marriage ban into the country's constitution, but failed on an epic level when only 20% of registered voters turned out last weekend. The referendum needed at least 30% participation in order to be considered valid. Opponents of the measure had encouraged voters to boycott the referendum, and it worked. Even though the Romanian Orthodox Church supported the constitutional revision, the Church failed to mobilize its followers. The Romanian Constitutional Court ruled last month that gay couples should have the same rights as all families. And this past June, the European Union's High Court ruled that member nations must grant residency rights to LGBTQ couples legally married in other EU countries after a Romanian national sued to bring his American husband to Romania. In the aftermath of this epic failure last weekend, Reuters is reporting that Romania's ruling party now hopes to introduce legislation legalizing civil unions for same-sex couples. Same-sex marriage is currently legal in only 14 of the 28 European Union member nations. Six European Union countries, including Romania, offer zero legal recognition for same-sex relationships. According to ILGA Europe, Romania ranks near the bottom of European Union countries, number 25 out of 28, when it comes to LGBTQ issues like equality, family issues, hate speech, gender recognition, freedom of expression, and asylum rights. According to the state of New Jersey, teachers will now be allowed to keep students' transgender identities secret from their families. LGBTQ advocates are celebrating the Garden State's new guidance on the issue. The move puts the state among national leaders for protecting trans students from unaccepting families. Still, some parent and family groups argued that schools shouldn't be keeping such significant secrets from families. For instance, the president of the New Jersey PTA told NJ.com, we always have believed that any discussion that affects our students should be an all-inclusive discussion. We could never fully support anything that leaves the parent voice out. Now, while parental involvement in a child's gender identity is always ideal, it's not always a reasonable option. If transgender children are facing unaccepting families and hostile living situations at home, discovery of one's trans identity could lead them to being kicked out or even physically abused. It's important to note that the new guidance isn't legally binding. Rather, it's the Education Department's interpretation of a 2017 state law reinforcing transgender students' rights. This means, though not legally binding, it will likely be respected. Since the United States Department of Education began a rollback of protections for trans students thanks to the Trump administration, Many school districts have been looking to their respective states for guidance. In reversing a nine-year policy begun by then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, the Trump administration continues to demonstrate hostility to same-sex couples. As of the first of this month, the U.S. State Department will require same-sex partners of staff of international organizations based in the United States to be married in order to qualify for a proper visa. The policy change will affect foreign employees of organizations like the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank. On the State Department's website for G4 visas, it now reads, Effective immediately, 
U.S. embassies and consulates will adjudicate visa applications that are based on a same-sex marriage in the same way we adjudicate applications for opposite gender spouses. The State Department issued a statement saying the policy change is meant to, quote, help ensure and promote equal treatment hmm, between straight and gay couples. In order to obtain a G4 visa, straight couples are required to be married. But the difference for same-sex couples, however, is that in many of their native countries, same-sex marriage, or even homosexuality, is illegal. The new policy seems to presume that same-sex partners could just easily visit the United States here, where same-sex marriage is legal, on a tourist visa and get married. But for people in many countries, particularly in poor conservative countries like the ones that don't permit same-sex marriage, obtaining a tourist visa to visit the United States is very difficult and costly. Under this new policy, the partners of United Nations workers, for example, that are not legally married will have 30 days after the first of the year to either get married or exit the United States. So what do these couples do? The choices available to them seem to be to either abandon their careers here in the United States or try to marry here and face possible severe penalties back home. Of the 193 United Nations member states, only a few dozen have recognized same-sex marriage. 69 countries around the world criminalize same-sex relations. And in 10 countries, all UN member states, LGBTQ people face the death penalty for their sexual orientation. In response to the policy reversal, 20 Democratic senators have sent a letter to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo urging him to reconsider the reversal. Former ambassador to the UN, Samantha Power, called the move needlessly cruel and bigoted on Twitter. And the human rights campaign followed up Power's tweet, saying the policy change reflects the hostility of the Trump-Pence administration towards LGBTQ people and our friends and allies. Last June, when the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of anti-LGBTQ baker Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop, Many saw the decision as a symbolic setback for the LGBTQ community. But a recent Harris poll shows a majority of Americans feel the federal government and the private sector should do more to protect LGBTQ rights. The survey of over 2,000 U.S. adults indicates 70% of those polled support a federal law protecting LGBTQ people from discrimination in housing, employment, public accommodations, and credit. 81% of respondents said businesses should not discriminate against people based on their sexual orientation, and 80% agreed regarding gender identity. In fact, 75% of Americans feel that when a business opens its doors to the public, everyone should be served equally. The poll also showed 68% of Americans say they would favor and be more likely to shop at businesses that openly support LGBTQ equality. But it's not all sunny news, as 20% of those polled believe businesses should be able to deny services based on race, ethnicity, national origin, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, religion, or disability. In other words, 20% of those polled believe in open discrimination. 
and 25% say business owners should be allowed to refuse services to certain customers if that would be in opposition to their religious beliefs. Last November, a campaign known as Open to All was launched in order to boost awareness of discriminatory business practices. Businesses who support the campaign make public their pledge to treat everyone fairly and can display signs in their windows with the hashtag open to all. Other than some general support for the anti-gun violence movement, international pop star Taylor Swift has been reluctant to share her political leanings. Until now. Last Sunday night, Swift posted her thoughts on the upcoming midterm elections and how she plans to vote in her home state of Tennessee. The 28-year-old began by stating up front her strong support for LGBTQ rights, writing, I believe in the fight for LGBTQ rights and that any form of discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender is wrong. She goes on to say that she's always championed electing women to office. But this time, Swift says, she can't bring herself to vote for the woman in the upcoming U.S. Senate race in Tennessee. She wrote, Running for Senate in the state of Tennessee is a woman named Marsha Blackburn. As much as I have in the past and would like to continue voting for women in office, I cannot support Marsha Blackburn. Her voting record in Congress appalls and terrifies me. She voted against equal pay for women. She voted against the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act, which attempts to protect women from domestic violence, stalking, and date rape. She believes businesses have a right to refuse service to gay couples. She also believes they should not have the right to marry. These are not my Tennessee values. She then announced, I will be voting for Democrat Phil Bredenson for Senate and Jim Cooper for House of Representatives. She also urged all of her fans to educate themselves, make sure they register, and specifically spoke to young people, saying, so many intelligent, thoughtful, self-possessed people have turned 18 in the past two years and now have the right and privilege to make their vote count. She closed her message with a rainbow emoji and the phrase, happy voting. It's interesting to note that Real Clear Politics shows Marsha Blackburn with an average two-point lead over her Democratic opponent. But Taylor Swift has 112 million Instagram followers and 83.5 Twitter followers. In the 48 hours that followed Taylor Swift's call to action, the website Vote.org, which helps register voters, saw a huge spike, 240,000 in registrations. To put that in perspective, in the entire month of September, there had only been 190,000 registrations. And in Tennessee, there was a corresponding reaction. In the following two days, Vote.org saw 2,144 registrations in Tennessee. Compare that with 2,811 new Tennessee voter registrations for the entire month of September and just 951 in August. Go, Taylor Swift. Go. After nearly a year of being away from New York City, I finally got to see the gorgeous, delightful, and supremely creative Broadway revival of Once on this Island, the winner of the 2018 Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical, running strong after nearly a year at Broadway's Circle in the Square Theater. 
In a world that seems turned upside down at times, director Michael Arden's grounded new staging of this musical fable about a boy and girl named Daniel and Timoun, set in the French Antilles, is a testament to the belief that that which lifts us up can conquer darkness. In that this is theater in the round, the entire show is an environmental experience from the moment you enter the space. The show begins with the citizens of this island intermittently entering the sandy beach, which is the stage, to begin their day. Along the way, there's rubbish to pick up, guess where the cast's props come from, greetings to make, and goats, live ones, to walk. But then a storm frightens a small girl, and the denizens of the island take on different roles to tell the story of Timun, sharing the lesson that love can, quote, withstand the storm, cross the earth, and survive, even in the face of death. The winning score by music theater veterans Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty, who also wrote Ragtime and Anastasia, is easily one of the most melodic currently playing on Broadway. And big kudos to music supervisor Chris Fenwick for the undeniably artful singing throughout the show. From lead vocals to the sung sounds of birds and frogs, this is high-end musicality. And speaking of leads, the casting here is perfection, as each actor steps forward to take their turn in the spotlight. From Alex Newell, who you may remember from the TV series Glee, his performance as Asaka, goddess of the earth, brings down the house with an exuberant and effervescent Mama Will Provide. Quentin Earl Darrington, who plays Agwe, god of the sea, sets the stage for Timun and Danielle to meet one night with vocal power that's truly a force of nature in rain. Darlicia Circe's Urzuli, the goddess of love, is delicious bringing the two young lovers together in human heart. And American Idol alumni Tamira Gray is stunning as Papa Gay, God of Death. Oh, and you may have noticed those pronouns I used. Yes, you'll note Newell and Gray take on their roles through gender-blind casting, which works flawlessly. In Michael Arden's Island World, the temperamental gods are gender-fluid. The beauty here is that once the story begins, the commitment to storytelling is such that we don't think about gender. We just think about the tale being told, to spectacular effect. Now, while gods have their power, Kanita R. Miller and Boise Holmes, who play Mama Ureli and Tantan Julian, respectively, bring grounding, vulnerable humanity as the couple that adopts young Timun. Their goodbye to Timun as she leaves them to journey to her destiny is a heartfelt emotional high point. Other intimate moments, like the lilting Some Girls, sung with charming warmth by Daniel, played by Isaac Powell, provides romantic respite from larger numbers. And then there's the fire and grace that is Haley Kilgore, whose Broadway debut as Timoon was fittingly honored with the Tony Award nomination for Best Actress in a Leading Role and a Theatre World Award. Her vocal range and artistry front and center in the joyful Waiting for Life is only equaled by her earthy, ebullient passion on display in Timoon's dance. And speaking of dance... Choreographer Camille A. Brown, honored with the Drama Desk nomination for her work here, brings a physical vocabulary that provides a visual human heartbeat throughout the evening in moments big and small. You may remember her sexy, richly organic staging she brought to the Emmy Award-winning Jesus Christ Superstar Live earlier this year on NBC. This isn't 
TV dance competition high kicks and spins. Oh no. From storyteller to storyteller, every movement throughout the evening is born out of characters living in the moment. I'm not the only one who's smitten with this show, folks. The critics fell over themselves when the production debuted. The New York Times wrote, A big, bold, ravishing delight. After seeing this imaginative and dynamic musical, you may feel once is not enough. The New York Daily News wrote, Bewitching and beautiful. The Huffington Post called this, A place where magic is possible and beauty is apparent for all to see. And local TV station New York One called it impossible to resist. Go see this gorgeous revival of Once on this Island at Circle in the Square on Broadway to feel your spirit refreshed. Once on this Island is intimate, romantic, inspiring, creative, and uplifting. Once on this Island is joy. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you would share The Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, only a lot shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com and instinctmagazine.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.